0: This is Conceptions and Misconceptions in Studying the Gospels with Dr. Dan Gertner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and today we are reading The Rich Young Ruler uh, in Matthew 19. Uh, before we get into the details, let's take a moment to look at the big picture. Uh, Dr. Gertner, will you tell us why is it important to address mis- con- our misconceptions, like the misconceptions we bring to the text, and uh, how, do we, how do we best do that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The the it, it's sort of like any kind of relationship in that we we want to be able to understand the text that we're kind of familiar with, especially for those of us who've been Christians a while. We are uh, we we think we know it really well, and so we might be very familiar with the stories, and so we kind of want to move so quickly to application that we. Uh, And we think we know what it says that we sort of tune out parts of it. Um, We do this. uh, I will sometimes do this with my wife. I've known her for more than 20 years now, and I think I know what she's going to say. And so there'll be points whenever she'll say something and I'll kind of tune her out because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I know I know what she's going to say. So I really don't have to listen. Now, I wouldn't actually say that. But that's kind of what's happening. And we kind of do that with the Bible too. We think we know what it's going to say. And so we kind of tune out um, because it's a familiar story. So, what we really, what I'm trying to encourage us to do is just slow down and pay attention and really see what it says and what the author is trying to say to the readers first and foremost. And we might find that there's a lot more there than we first realized. So that's really what we're trying to do is is to just really be good listeners, to understand the other, like you would try to do in a good conversation with somebody, to just really understand what somebody else is trying to say before you try to sort of internalize what they're saying. Just, just listen a little bit
0: first. That's all. Well, what's interesting about some of the passages we've talked about so far, and I think this one too, is like there's kind of – some of them are very familiar, um, and I think we we do, like you said, like we just kind of read past it, um, and we miss some of the interesting details in it, and I think some of them um, maybe have really challenging uh, uh, bits and pieces of like really unexpected things, and what I what I find I do when I come across those is I almost like rationalize it or kind of try to like you know, coordinate off so I don't have to, to deal with it. And I, and I, and I missed something important. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple interesting things like that in this, this passage, uh, I think today. So do you, you want to get into the text?
1: Sure. And, and sort of to your point, we kind of domesticate it. We sort yeah. of want it to be, we want it to be in our own box rather than try to let it be in, in the, the worldview of, uh, and in the context in which it is written. So, you know, we we might not have um, people possessed by demons coming out of tombs and keeping us from going to our work every day. Yeah. But there were some people who did. So let's just try to understand what was going on there first. And then let's try to and then let's sort of see how that might relate to us today. Yeah. So that takes us that makes us sort of walk in somebody else's shoes a little bit first. That takes a little bit of effort on our part. The other thing I'd like to point out before we jump into this is the the podcast conversations that we've had so far, we really haven't had to go outside the text itself. We've mm. really just made observations yeah. of, of just what's there like the time yeah. we spent last time on The raising of Lazarus, you know, we were on the highway and we looked at those forks in the road and we just saw what was there and tried to make sense of what was there. So you don't need a PhD. You just need a good set of reading glasses and a little bit of patience to to see what's there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is another awesome part of this discussion we're having. And I hope it's an encouraging part of it, too, that like you just putting time into this. There's a lot you can draw out of the Bible. You don't have to uh have an enormous library of of commentaries and resources about really there's so much good just in the text um we just need to kind of give it the time to to percolate a little bit
1: sure in fact to your and then we'll get to the text to your point i'm having students write in one of the classes i'm teaching right now for gateway um a class having them articulate what is the gospel just just from biblical text what is the gospel and uh, I don't require them to use secondary sources. And they're kind of struggling with that because uh, mm. they're used to going to commentaries. And, and I'm thinking next time I teach this course, I'm actually going to require them not to use secondary sources. Yeah. I just want them to really search the scriptures because everything they need to know is right there. Mm. We're just kind of used to going into all these helps when, when really everything we need to know is right there. So, so let's work on, let's just talk about getting some skills and that's kind of what we're trying to do in this podcast, get some skills to just, um, to, to find out what for ourselves, what's there. So, so where are we headed? We're headed to the story of the rich young ruler.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rich young ruler. So it does show up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, I think we're going to focus on Matthew this time. Sure.
1: So we're in Matthew 19, beginning in, uh, verse 16. And I'll read 16 through uh, 22, and then we'll look a little bit afterwards, because after verse 22, um, Jesus is going to give a little bit of commentary on what just happened. Mm. And that's really helpful when Jesus himself explains the scene. Um, uh, beginning in verse 16, and I, and I'm reading from the ESV, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, in this story, Matthew doesn't tell us anything else about this man. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't show up again. We don't know what happened, but we're told everything that we need to know as readers of what occurred. Mm -hmm. We don't know. So he doesn't, he doesn't, skip away and, and sell everything. And we don't see him come back and say, okay, everything's done. Let's go. Right. Um, so, so we presume by his going away, sorrow, sorrowful. And when Matthew says for, he had great possessions that he wasn't willing to do it. Yeah. So what is it that kept him? The cost was too high. Yeah. The cost was just too high. So a couple of things that we notice at the beginning verse beginning in verse 16 the man says says to him what good deed must i do to have eternal life his presupposition is i have to do something to get eternal life what do i got to do yeah and jesus response isn't isn't first do this and do that his first response is, "Why are you talking to me about good stuff?" Right. So, there's only one who is good. So, what's his point? Why is he Why is he dwelling on this good idea?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a confounding answer to the guy's question.
1: It it is, but it's key to the whole thing. Yeah. What's Jesus? And and we saw this sort of before in some of the discussions we have. He says there is only one who is good, and who's Jesus talking about? God. Right. So, what when Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good, and then he says, only God is good, what is he saying to the rich young man?
0: Well, I think he's he's making a statement about who he is, about who exactly. like Jesus is saying who he is, right? Right. Yep.
1: He's saying, you're asking me, why are you asking me about what is good? Only God is good. Do you believe that I'm God? Hmm. That's what he's throwing out there. And we're going to see what you really believe about me by how you respond to what I'm about to ask you to do. Yeah. And so he says, okay, um, you want to enter life? Keep the commands. And so he throws them these, these softball ones. Yeah. Don't murder, don't commit adultery. And he says, Yep, I, I'm good with those. Those are the easy ones. And then he says, if you would be perfect. Now he, he's not talking about moral perfection. He's if you if you really want to acquire what it is that you're looking for, if you want to achieve this thing that you're looking for, this this eternal life, here's all you got to do. Go sell what you possess, and of course Jesus knows who this guy is. Yeah, we don't know anything except that. Well, we don't know anything about about him until the very end. Yeah, give to the poor, you'll have treasures in heaven, and then call them follow me. So that's all he has to do. Um, and then as you said, that's just too much. Yeah, he won't do it. Yeah, so. That's really, what's the point of the, what's the point of the passage then? What do you think? What's, what's Matthew saying to his original readers?
0: Well, you know, we talked previously about the importance of uh, following in Matthew, yep. that that's kind of a theme that comes up a lot. Um, and so I think there's a, there's definitely a part of this that's saying there is a cost to following Jesus. Um, like uh, we, we see that kind of repeated a few different spots in Matthew and, you know, other places in the Bible, there, there is a high cost here. Um, so, I mean, I think that's an important part of it, but I, I kind of think there's also a, a bit of a split that, that Jesus is kind of bringing up earlier in this of kind of like, it's not based on your works. It's about following me. Like there's kind of a a difference here because his answer is like, you're asking, you know, about, about goodness, but there's only one who is good. But it almost seems like the second part of his statement is like. Well, uh, you know, ESV, it says, but, or I actually, I think I'm reading in ASV but it says, but it's like, but if you wish to enter the kingdom, it's almost contrary in a way. Like you're talking about goodness, but you're talking about eternal life. And he's like, the uh, eternal life is through following me. That's how you get, right. you know, uh, yeah. redemption and stuff. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. So this is going to be costly. Mm. And this, you, you need to be ready. To have it cost you absolutely everything you have to follow him. Mm-hmm. So part of the message to the early church, so you think of yourself, you're you're a first century Christian and maybe starting to undergo a little bit of persecution and you're wanting to follow Jesus and you're thinking about counting the cost. And am I gonna follow this guy? And and well, you realize that you live in a pre- predominantly Roman uh, territory, and it's not in some places it's legal to be a Christian. Some places mm. it's not legal to be a Christian. You realize you could lose everything. Yeah, is that something you're willing to do? And and this this story uh, draws a a line in the sand and says, count the cost now. Make sure you're mm. ready. Mm. That and, and it and it does the same thing for us. I mean, I talked to somebody recently about lordship. You you speak about salvation you can say the gospel message clearly you know that jesus died for your sins but the way you're living your life you have you're not ready if he walked into uh, walked up to you today and say leave x and come follow me yeah i'm not sure that you would leave x yeah so what what would i what would cause me and so this is sort of so how we get to some application what would cause me to hesitate, mm. or, or to be sorrowful, yeah. If he says, "Leave it and follow me," yeah, that's I think the real challenge of this. Yeah. So well, let's look at Jesus' commentary in a little yeah. bit uh, okay. on this, because because part of the worldview that I think they're spout, they're, uh, the disciples are wrestling with is the assumption that a rich person is is blessed by God.
0: Oh sure, yeah. By definition, yeah. So,
1: Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you may have heard sermons and various things that there's this... uh, a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of a needle and for a camel to go through it, you have to take all the stuff off the camel and then he can squeeze through that. That's hogwash. There's no such thing. And even if there were that completely overturns the meaning of this whole, of this whole illustration. Yeah. He is talking about a literal, large, smelly, hairy animal squeezing through a tiny little hole. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't make sense, that's ridiculous. Then you're getting the point. Yeah, that's the point. That of the doesn't image. work. Yeah. That's exactly the point of the image. Yeah. And then verse 25, so we don't miss it, when the disciples heard this, they're thinking what we're thinking, and they were greatly astonished, saying, Yeah, who then can be saved? If these rich people who have the blessing of God in their bank account can have a hard time, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, well, we, of course you can't get this camel through. Yeah, Of course, this is hard for this. Th- there will be rich people in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And it's harder for them because of how much they have to give up. Hmm. But it's not impossible. Yeah. And, and And we could say it's just as difficult. Well, maybe not just as difficult, but it's difficult for the rest of us who maybe wouldn't consider ourselves quite so wealthy.
0: Yeah, it's still but, only possible through God. Right, it's still only possible through God. Right. Which I think also kind of hangs back to that first question, you know, that or the first answer that Jesus gives of like there's kind of this this separation kind of happening where he's like, you know, you you think that being good, keeping the commandments is going to be how you enter what does he say? Oh, obtaining eternal life. That's how that's how you're going to do it. And it's, you know, really the answer is that's, that's impossible. It's only possible. Eternal life is only possible through God. And that's the real answer there, right?
1: That is the real answer. That is the real answer. And actually, you know, you had mentioned that Mark and Luke also have the same account. And um, in Matthew, it says, what must I do to have eternal life? Mm -hmm. In Mark, it says, what must I do? And Mark and Luke, it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So both of them are about acquiring uh, eternal life. Yeah. So so they're they're all three talking about this acquisition of eternal life. So they're looking for something, and he's looking for. In Matthew alone, he says, "What good deed must I do?" Mm. So in all three, he's looking for doing something. Yeah. To inherit eternal life, mm. and Jesus is first of all trying to get him to respond to who he is to who jesus is yeah and that's the crux of the whole thing yeah and whether the man responds to recognizes who jesus is or doesn't recognize who jesus is he doesn't respond accordingly right
0: yeah actually it's a little bit like um some of the, the parables we see of like, like the uh, treasure in the field and like the Pearl of Great Price where, where people have a recognition of like, this is that the thing I found is worth more. I I can give up everything I have because it's actually a, that's a better trade. Like there's a recognition of the value. And and of course in this story, it's a bit tragic because he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not able to do that same math, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it is tragic, and I think it's deliberately tragic to make us feel that how how foolish it is of what he's giving up. Yeah, and it also reminds us of, you know, Jesus teaching in the Sermon of the Mount that. Uh, well, let me turn there. It's Matthew chapter Matthew chapter six verse nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the kicker, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. And so this, this story of the rich young man is really a great example of where his treasure is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a warning to us about where our treasure needs to be. Yeah. And why I put that question of, what would cause me to, uh, and I think we all need to constantly come back to what would cause me to hesitate? Yeah, if he says, "Sell it all, give to the poor, follow me."
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's a um, it's a powerful story. It's funny you mentioned earlier what you're what you're asking your students to do right now about like uh, or what you're thinking about doing next semester is like really define the gospel only using only using the text, and this is an interesting passage for that because it's in a way it's not very explicit but a lot of the a lot of the framework is there and it really is a very striking image of of a response to the gospel
1: yeah yeah it is it really is it's it's like I said it's drawn a line in the sand and said you're you know you, you have to make a choice yeah and I think for all of us I mean uh, for
0: all of us at some point we have to make a choice yeah yeah I think that's totally true. Okay, well, let's look at this. Uh, let's look at this um, narrative in uh, in Mark and Luke as well. Let's just check it out real quick and see if there's anything kind of interesting there that may be a little bit uh, a little different, or what's the same. You know, what's kind of word for word the same? What are some things that are? Uh, we just compare. Uh, so, so we're going to be looking at Mark ten and Luke eighteen for these uh, uh, these uh, passages that match up with Matthew nineteen.
1: Yeah, and it's clearly the same account, and sometimes it's hard to tell, but this, mm. is, this is clearly the same account, and all three have them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew says at the beginning, behold, a man came up to him, saying, Luke says, and a ruler asked him, and Mark just says, and as they were setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. And so there's, there's just, you know, all three are describing the same event. They just use some of their own words. Some of it is verbatim identical. Yeah. Some of it is somewhat distinct. Yeah. So it, it's, um, you know, there's, uh, and they're listing some of the, the commands. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, it says, uh, Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? In Mark and Luke, it is, why do you call me good? hmm no one is good except God alone. So they're making explicit yeah. what is implicit in Matthew. Yeah. Now, when we do this sort of thing, just as a sort of a side note, we, we want to be cautious about trying to harmonize these. Hmm. Uh, by that, I mean trying to reconstruct and squeeze these together and say, oh, there's a contradiction, there's a contradiction, there's a contradiction. You know, we, we could all go, and I think we may have mentioned this before, we could all go to maybe watch uh maybe the lighting of the olympic torch at the next next uh winter olympics and we could all dis- we could maybe five of us could be together with a couple friends and we could all describe the exact same scene and have very different accounts and be completely accurate yeah but our, our accounts would be very different, so we need to allow the authors to uh, a little bit of leeway, just like we would with any other author. Yeah. And if we just squeeze them all together, we would really lose the richness of the of the narrative they're trying to tell. Yeah. So there, but there is merit in putting these side by side. Yeah, and, and I think that the merit is it sort of helps us to see if we if we just had Mark, for example, and didn't compare it to Luke we wouldn't see what's unique about Mark or what mm. Mark says that's special about Mark. It reminds me of like when I was in, in college, when, uh, when Shaquille O'Neal was a really big deal. I mean, he's still a big deal cause he's a big man, but w- when he was, um, w- when he was just starting to get out really, really big in basketball, very popular, I had no idea how really big he was mm. uh, it, until, cause I'm six foot three until some people in my college dorm had a life size poster of him. In our dormitory, right, and then I stood next to it, and when I stood next to it, I'm like, okay, there. Getting some comparison makes me realize that's a very large yeah. man, and, and so just the comparison helps me to see something. Yeah. So, putting Matthew, Mark, and Luke beside each other helps us to see things in the others that otherwise we might miss. Yeah. So that that's the benefit of just putting these beside each other like this.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. And in, in Mark, I'm just looking at it right now. Mark, it. In, in Mark ten twenty one, 21, it, it's Mark specifies out that, you know, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Yes. And that's, that's an interesting, you know, uh, uh, that's a, a small detail. And I think that's implicit in the other passages, but to have that just stated, it does help color that a little bit. And, yep. it, and it helps us know this isn't like a, <laughs> this is a dumb term, like a Jesus juke, you know, he's not dunking on this guy.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not just setting him up to fail, mm-hmm. that he really wants him to respond positively. Yeah, he wants him to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in the uh, when the young man asks, mm-hmm. when he says, all these I have kept, in Mark and Luke, they both say that he's kept them from his youth. Mm. Matthew doesn't say that, but he does say, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Mm. I'm still missing something. Yeah, what is it?
0: Hmm. That's so interesting that he knows that too, isn't it? Because uh, yeah. he, he, it is driving him to come approach Jesus and talk to him about this. That's a good
1: point. I hadn't noticed that before. But do you see how just comparing these yeah. helps
0: us to see that? Yeah, for sure. Good.
1: Yeah, and we notice, and I, I don't know what quite what to make of this. In the accounts, they have the same commandments, except in. Um, Matthew and Mark, they have do not murder first. Mm-hmm. In Luke, they have do not commit adultery first. Yeah, that is interesting. That's an interesting switch And up. Matthew also has the has the addition, after honor your father and mother, it also has love your neighbor as yourself,
0: right. which isn't found in Mark and yeah. Luke. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm just looking at this right now. It, it's interesting <clears> – <throat> I think we talked a little bit about this on the uh, uh, the narrative on the uh, the stilling of the storm what what all did people say and you made the point that uh, this probably took place over a fairly long amount of time and so they' there some of the the dialogue has been condensed you know you're you're not gonna maybe list every single thing a person says and so they're getting the main ideas mm-hmm. And whatnot. But, you know, you just talked in, in, uh, uh, about Matthew in verse 20 says, you know, he specifically the, the rich young man says, what do I still lack? And it, he doesn't ask that in Mark and Luke, but Jesus answers him with that word lack. He says one thing you yeah. still lack. So the idea is still absolutely there. You know, it, it's implicit in Jesus's answer what what the rich young man is asking.
1: Yeah. So in those accounts, Jesus supplies it for yeah. him. You're still lacking something. But in Matthew's account, yeah. he lets him speak for himself and say, I know I'm lacking something.
0: Good. That's great. Those are great observations. It's uh, it's very interesting. I I think this is a uh, – and, and I'll just go ahead and, and tell everyone. You, you actually created a document for me to look at. But this does help a lot to be able to list passages like this on one document right next to each other, side by side, to make that comparison a little bit easier uh do you do you find this as a useful practice for your for yourself very very useful yeah, there are some books
1: out that do that but not really well the way i like to basically all i've done is i put copied and pasted the text of the esv into a word document uh from the three passages and put them side by side and then just really tried to line up where i thought they were really where they really lined up verbally mm-hmm. as closely, closely as possible
0: how, could you give us some, uh, maybe some advice would be like the, the way to say this? How can people integrate something like this into their, maybe just their kind of personal Bible study? Is it, is it useful to maybe get one of those books or, or is it better just to like do it by hand, get a notebook out and, you know, or, or do it in Word and kind of copy and paste and put it in there?
1: Yeah. The, um, the, the books are still the. I think the jury's still out on getting a, the best book that's still that's really useful. The best book that's out there is a bit clunky. Mm. I really think that uh, probably my students would say, well, why reinvent the wheel if there are already some of these books out there? You really learn a lot about how the Gospels are put together by taking an extra five or 10 minutes and doing kind of doing this yourself and jotting down a few notes and putting this into a Word document. Let's just say if you're doing your devotions and you're going to spend some time in Mark chapter ten, drop this into a Word document and put the other ones side by side, and just spend the whole week in Mark chapter mm-hmm. ten. I mean, there's there's no hurry unless you have to get through it for a certain reason. But what I like to do with these passages, and and I know this is a little bit nerdy, but I, I'll put them into a put them into a Word document or or even from that book that I mentioned and then i have a color coding system Mm. that i use where i have a rather intricate system that i devise where one color means that they're all the same another color means that it's only in matthew another color Mm. that's only in mark you've noticed some are only in mark and luke but not in matthew and you can sort of start to notice some patterns and and that's not so much a big deal as it is you sort of you know whenever you might start to think well what is Matthew's theology, or what are Mark's emphases, and, and how do your textbooks get those things? Right. Basically, what they do is they go through the whole of the bulk gospel of Mark and do what we're talking about. What is unique to Mark with respect to the other gospels? Yeah. It's not found in the other gospels. They just do it for the whole thing. Yeah. So it's a good enterprise. And I the the more you can sort of get into the text and do it yourself and see how it's put together, the more you'll actually learn from it. So one of the exercises I had for my Gospel of Mark class this semester was I gave them the whole text of the Gospel of Mark in in English, in in a word document with no paragraph breaks anywhere. Mm. And I had them outline it in two pages and explain what the gospel of Mark is about. Right. So, because the paragraphs all tell us what the thought units yeah. are. But if you have to go through the text and, and decide what the thought units are yourself mm-hmm. and how it breaks down, that's a totally different different yeah. way. Now, yeah, there are thousands of outlines of Mark's out Mark out there. But when you have to derive one yourself, it makes you think about the yeah. text. And when you have to think through the text itself, you're doing something that just sitting down and reading something from another book isn't going to do yeah. for you.
0: It's kind of engaging so, in, like in a that respect,
1: type of thinking almost. It really is. And you're thinking the biblical thoughts after the biblical author, which is totally different from just jotting down notes of what somebody yeah. else says. So I'm a big fan of... I'm a big fan of just of just working working these things out with taking out your Bible in a notebook and jotting things down yourself. Well, it, it's
0: to me, it's one of those things that's like it's like a principle of studying almost. There, there's a real benefit, and it and it doesn't it, it takes more time than probably a lot of us want to give to it, but it 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 doesn't have to be something that takes over like your your whole life or, or your whole day or something like that. But there is kind of something to this these kind of studying principles. And I, it's making me think of uh, when I was in college, I, I was a music minor and I, I made it all the way to college. I really didn't know how to read music. And I was in a music theory class and they gave me tools to help me read music. And you basically just look at a you know piece of music and you have to break it down like into really simple pieces, right? What key is this in? You know, do I know all the notes that are in that key? Okay, good. Um, what are just the rhythm? I'm not going to try to connect notes, just the rhythm, get the rhythm down in my head, read, read the rhythm. Okay. I've got that. Now I'm just going to figure out what the plotted notes are with no rhythm. And it's like a four-step process. The fourth step being you kind of integrate these things and it it takes a little bit more time, but I was, I developed the ability to like sight read music over like a a semester or a semester and a half by, by kind of developing these principles to kind of break it down. And that's, that's kind of what I, what I feel like you, you can do with the text a little bit here. It's like, we need to address it and and look at it, kind of take our, you know, preconceptions away a little bit. Don't try to jump to, you know, application. And like, if we're in Matthew, Mark and Luke, let's see if it, if it shows up in any of the other, any of the other uh, um, books and just, just compare it and just look at it. What's it saying? What's the same? What's the different, you know, how is it different? Why is it different? And just look at these things to kind of approach it from different different angles and, and there's something about about doing that and engaging your brain in that way that, that makes you catch stuff. And I think part of it is is just slowing yep. down, you know, and not trying to do everything at once. And you will
1: learn more you'll learn more about the gospels from fifteen or twenty minutes a day doing stuff like that than from fifteen or twenty minutes a day reading a book or a devotional or a commentary on the yeah. gospels because you're getting into how the gospels work and you're learning how the gospel authors are thinking and writing. It's
0: beautiful stuff. That's fantastic. Good. Well, I think we're, we're about ready to, to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts on this passage? Well, no, just, just
1: again, that what we've seen, like we've seen in all the passages that we've looked at is um, there's, there are no bells, whistles, or fireworks. We don't have to pull any rabbit out of our hat. All the questions that the author wants us to ask are Mm -hmm. here and all the answers that the author wants us to find are here. Um, so we just have to take the time to look yeah. for it and, and we're going to find them. So to your point, you know, let's just, let's just dig in and, and get there. Um, and I also just, I guess, to to part of the point that I see, I guess I see in students that I kind of see to my, in myself is we can sometimes become consumers of the Bible. We want to get to mm. results and we want to get some sort of a, a quick, almost like a happy meal kind of drive-through, but but there's there's times to just sit and let it ruminate, and that's okay. Um, and there's just so so many gems. I've been studying the Bible for a while, and I still find gems, mm. and it's a beautiful thing. And, and taking time to just reflect on God's Word can be a worshipful task. It might seem tedious and time-consuming, but when you take the time and prayerfully and worshipfully, reflect on God's word and find things that he's communicating to his church, that's
0: a beautiful and worthwhile thing. That's fantastic. That's a good word. Dr. Gertner, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure.